Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz-Gaspel. Scuzz, welcome back. Um, you know, must have been nice to go go on vacation a little bit, celebrate that big Michigan State win. Uh, you know, not like you missed a whole lot with our, our homecoming game. <laughs> oh, boy. I got to celebrate two big wins in Disney World. It was awesome. Um, and I will I will mention, like, I, I texted you guys after the game because with I was I – was, you know, following a, a kind of on my phone loosely as uh, battery and coverage would allow, but basically from three minutes out, I didn't I didn't see anything, and I thought surely that we had lost that game, only to find out later that we didn't. And uh, I think there's probably like a full year of my life that I preserved by not watching it live. <laughs> yeah, but your deficit is too big already. Like you're. <laughs> That doesn't matter. The three of us have already shaved off decades. Like I've been, I've been chain smoking for sixty years. Quitting now ain't gonna help. Right. It's funny. It's funny on the flip side. I do love it for all of the Northwestern freshmen who went to last week's game and this week's game because that's two games of their college experience and they've learned everything they need to know about what the rest of their life of Northwestern fandom is going to be like. It's just, yeah, pretty much. Welcome to the roller coaster. For any for any of you freshmen that are listening, like it's, you know, roll with the good times and don't let the bad times get you down. You'll have fun. Absolutely. And, you know, we were definitely having fun down the stretch at least. Um, but, you know, you look back at this game and just eerie resemblance to last year's game in Lincoln. You know, a game that where we were clearly the better team at least last year and we just it it stayed close today or this week was it was weird i mean insofar as the run game which we thought was going to be back you know we figured you know nebraska's de- you know defense is abysmal they're not going to be able to do anything but we weren't able to run the ball once mccall figured that out and just said okay clayton go ahead you know, threw for 64, 65 passes on the game, 455 yards, and, you know, looked real great. And, you know, ran that, and then Clayton Thorson drove 99 yards. It, it uh, really reminded me of the uh, the 2009 season where we would throw RB Fields mercilessly into the teeth of the, of the defensive front uh, all first half panic and just start and then release Mike Kafka and let him throw the ball around for like 350 yards in the second half and win. I mean, we went nine and four that, that year and almost beat Auburn in the, in the Outback Bowl. I, uh, so I, I'll be the one to throw some, some real cold water on this whole situation. Um, for three quarters, I mean, this game was gross. Yeah, it was bad. And gross from a perspective of just, it was a bad coaching job all the way around. Um, Hankowitz, I'd say, had a better day than others, but um, – and the fact remains – I mean, we had a couple young linebackers out there, but the fact remains, I mean, this team got torched by read option in this game. And there's some, ex- there's some explanation for that. Um, but with that said, of our coaching brain trust, 
Mike had a better day than anybody else did. Um, this was a rough day for Mick McCall. And yes, we're going to get into all the issues with the, the running game um, and, and everything that goes along with that. From Nebraska's perspective, what they were going to do defensively was very clear. I mean, this is a 3-4 defense, and usually with a 3-4 defense, at least one of the linebackers is coming to make up that fourth rusher, and a lot of times more more than one is coming. Nebraska effectively played their 3-4 the way we play our 3-3-5. They rushed three all game. They didn't even try to get to the quarterback. And they, but at the same time, the corners were rolled pretty far up and all the linebackers were playing read and react. So Nebraska just gave up on the idea of trying to rush the passer and basically was like, either we're just going to put maximum guys on the field to try to run around and make tackles, or we're going to drop eight into coverage on every play. That became apparent really, really early on. So on one hand, we didn't run the ball that often. I mean, we tried it early on and it went out and then Clayton just started throwing the ball all, all over the yard. But don't let the fact that he was sacked twice confuse you at all. Clayton Thorson had almost a squeaky clean uh, jersey by the end of this game. And he had all day to throw the ball around. And Nebraska wasn't even trying to rush the passer. We had many receivers on the field all the time. It's the kind of situation where it's, I mean, there's a reason people always say the prevent defense prevents you from winning. If you're not able to get any quarterback pressure, it doesn't matter how many guys are sitting back in coverage. The other team should be able to pick you apart. And we were unable to do that for the first three quarters of this game. And then basically, and I think, you know, because you tweeted it out afterwards when people were talking, Clayton just, this was his hero moment. Clayton put on the cape down the stretch on this one and he made it happen. There was not some amazing scheme thing going on out there. Um, Clayton got it done down the stretch. This is one of the most, you know, proudest we should be of this guy over the course of his whole career. Um, and I think, you know, it, it is rightful to heap praise on him for that position down the stretch. And it enables us all to kind of forget about the, the bad job that was done on the offensive side of the ball for most of this game. There is, there is one thing that did change in the second half, at least on both of the, the TD throws that he had Nebraska brought six they they tried to start getting some there's a reason Nebraska didn't try to bring pressure because they can't get to the quarterback they don't have the ponies to do it and when they did bring uh, five or six guys in those two situations Thorson ate him up and he hit the long 61 yarder to uh, uh, Nagel and he hit the uh, you know 12 yard pass to J.J. Jefferson to, to tie it up and I thought those two plays just in a vacuum because I, I haven't I haven't gone back and seen the whole game. I've mostly seen highlight packages. Those two plays in a vacuum are a great improvement on uh, the storybook of Clayton Thorson versus the Blitz. Yeah, I mean he did a, he did a great job like realizing when you know Nagel had the corner just owned and you know sending him deep. It really felt like. You know, we were talking to Dan Persa a couple of weeks ago, and you know, he was saying how you know he would change things on the fly on the on the field. It felt like that might have been what Clayton did against Nebraska, and just something clicked in the fourth quarter. It was like, all right, guys, f it, we got to get this done, and they started just picking apart the corners deep. And and another thing too, I mean, Clay, Clayton was not locking in on a receiver. 
12 guys caught balls in this game. Nine guys caught at least two. He was just dealing all over the place. And I think one of the things that made it so frustrating from a play calling perspective well, was... Well, what, what, one guy caught 12 alone. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, right. I mean, Flynn had just an insane game. Uh, and I mean, and not to mention Triple J, who you know continues his breakout stretch for us as a freshman. Um, absolutely, yes. I mean, not to take anything away from Nagel, but Thorson was really getting it done. He was really moving the ball around in the first half. There was that one play that that Kyrick McGowan barely missed mm. on that deep on that deep cross. That was a touchdown if it was caught, um, but. And, and you know, on the there was the one touchdown drive where really against the run of play, Thorson threw that interception in the fourth quarter where it really seemed like we were moving and he was dealing and that hiccup kind of came out of nowhere. But, but overall, to take it away from him, you know, when he was just given, as you guys said, the keys to the car down the stretch, he made it happen, which, and this is the missing piece that I haven't mentioned yet, um... It makes the fact that we sat with just under a minute in the first half, great field position, and all three timeouts, absolutely ridiculous. That's, I mean, that was hot garbage that we did that. Um, and, you know, fans were booing, and, and rightfully so. I don't know what the heck Fitz was thinking there. Because of the way this game ended, he did not have to answer questions about it in the post-game press conference. There was just way too much else to talk about. Um, but it was it was brutal. And, and, and here's here's the thing, just to add on to that, um, you know, they came out and they ran a couple plays they got a first down and got a first down. It's like if you're just going to take a knee, if you're just going to run the clock out, take a knee and run the clock out. If you're going to run the offense and get a first down. And then just let the clock run and go and go into halftime. That's just I, I can't understand that at all. Because if you're running the offense, run the offense, go do it. You've got timeouts, you've got field position. You could at least have gotten into field goal range. I, I think without a doubt, for for sure. And it's just it's just one of those base strategy things that was a total mess. And on the other end. Right. I mean, for anyone who's a Northwestern fan and a Chicago Bears fan, I feel so bad for you because the Bears did the NFL version of what in, in overtime of what we did in overtime or they did down the stretch and the Bears ended up shanking a 53 yard field goal. Well, we went past happy all fourth quarter, engineered this unbelievable comeback. And the minute we got to overtime, we ran three times into the dirt. And left Drew Luckaby out there to kick what ended up being an amazing 37-yard game-winning field goal. But uh, we were in a position where we could have done just about anything there. And instead, we just did, you know, a couple yards in a cloud of dust and let him line up a long field goal. So it was not a a good day for the off, especially on the offensive side of the ball, for the play calling. And, you know, I give all credit to, to Clayton and the boys and the line. And this is the flip side, right? I mean, I think a lot of people want to hang a lot of this run stuff on the offensive line. Pass blocking was great. And yes, Nebraska is not good at rushing the passer, but they protected and they really protected down the stretch when they needed to. Um, so, I mean, to, to Dan Purse's point, right? I give all credit to the players for what happened in the fourth quarter. Those guys earned this win. Yeah, hundred um, percent. The other thing that's interesting is, you know, we've seen a lot of times where Northwestern turtle shells a little bit after either with a lead or after big turnovers. 
And what's interesting when you look at the two picks that Thorson did throw, one, like, sure, he threw it a little bit behind Nagel, but it was kind of a weird, you know, bounce play. Now, granted, if Nagel doesn't get a hand on it, the safety probably catches it. So maybe we'll say that was like a 50-50 ball. He probably shouldn't have thrown. Um, the other deep pass uh, that was picked off deep, like, you know what? I'm fine with that. You're, you're going to take some deep shots. You're going to get picked off once in a while. It's essentially an arm punt, you know. You, you and, live and, with and, that, and, they and it was pin, they were at their three. super deep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you live with that, right? Risk reward. So this was not the sort of situation where like he forgot to look off uh, a linebacker and threw something into the flat and gave up a pick six. Like he was locked in and dealing really well. It's not the type of thing where you worry about him turning it over in one of those key situations. And and I think back to the first half of the Akron game, and I think. In, in what transpired in the second half, we've all really lost that last drive, which I want to say was about a 50-second drive where Thorson went five wide and just charged down the field, eviscerated Akron, um, pass after pass after pass. And that like that is in our arsenal. Um, you saw him in the two-minute drive at the end of this game, like like that two minute offense is in our arsenal. It has not been in years past, but Northwestern has that. And the times in which we choose to deploy it and not deploy it are really head scratching. Yeah. And I I think that that's the question that everyone is asking is if we have that capability, why aren't we seeing it more? Well, and I think one of the things that exacerbates it, right, is all credit where credit is due uh, to Scott Frost, who, is in this position because he is an awesome offensive mind. And right now he has very, very little to work with. And it's a tire fire in Lincoln. But that doesn't erase everything he did at UCF and everything he did at Oregon before that in terms of play calling. And it was really a clinic out there, what they were doing, with very little tools. I mean, we know about Devin Azigbo, Stanley Morgan, and Adrian Martinez. But this is a team that doesn't block the passer well. And doesn't have a lot of depth at, I mean, they don't have a lot of depth at running back, but Martinez has reached this point, right? Where after a couple of weeks, he's really got it, uh, especially athletically right now. And you could just see the way Frost, and it, and you know, it, it should be a preview to people who are really paying close attention of what he's capable of doing when he's got the ponies in the stable. Because uh, first of all, one, as far as running, Martinez was a glorified decoy all day. And the effect was tremendous. Um, we really missed Nate Hall and his veteran leadership out there um, because we had two young line. I mean, technically three young linebackers out there. Um, Patty Fisher, of course, is an amazing player. He did not cover himself in glory in this game. Um, but Azigbo just was at the second level before he was even touched a lot of times. And it was a lot of read option and Martinez's ability and his reputation getting guys way out of position. And that just hit again and again and again. And from a passing perspective, just the way, like, it was one of those things where it's that really annoying feeling that the other team is dialed in where they're always making the right play call, where it's like, oh, it was a quick screen right when they needed to call a quick screen. Or, oh, Martinez got outside of the pocket on a design roll right when he was supposed to do that. And it's just when you're not seeing that on the other side of the ball when we're not doing it and we're like, for crying out loud, 
we rush the passer way better than they do. Why, you know, why are, why is our offense not taking advantage of this? And I give, again, Frost is in that job for a reason. He was a guy who was ascendant as an offensive coordinator and rose to this level. Um, and it's for his ability to make calls like that. So, um, it just exacerbates it when you're feeling it coming from them and, and in, in a position, honestly, where you know that they're the inferior team. So again, not, not the greatest thing. Well, I like, yeah, that's it. It's a little bit of salt in the wound. Um, what's interesting though, when you look at, and this is a little bit of a, of a departure from what I think we, we were planning to talk about in depth here, but if you'll allow me to, to meander, um, Fitz is a defensive head coach. He was a defensive player. Uh, he was a defensive position coach. He was very briefly a defensive coordinator and that's his mindset. Frost is the opposite, as you just outlined, John, and the the direction Nebraska is going on offense and the direction that Nebraska is going on defense are polar opposites from what is happening at Northwestern. I think what what's hard for me is that it hasn't always been this way under Fitz. There were years where we had a dynamic offense. I talked about 2009 when, when we just released the Hounds uh, in the passing game and, and let Mike Kafka do his thing, uh, the Persa years. Uh, I, but at the same time, there's always been this kind of undercurrent of conservatism and this and this wanting to be a a team in a little bit in the mold of the Gary Burnett teams, a stifling defense and a team that can run the ball, control the ball, minimize turnovers, not have to rely on passing game too much. That's not modern football, and that's not where college football is going. You can certainly be successful and win that way, and Fitz has done that pretty well. But it is interesting when you start to compare against uh, Frost or Jeff Brome at Purdue, another offensive-minded coach, and what he's doing there. Minnesota is a team that's probably going to be more like Northwestern. You know, PJ Fleck, not a he's not you know he wasn't a defensive player or anything, but much more of a defensive uh, conservative type coach. Mark D'Antonio at, at Michigan State. It's just interesting how these personalities of the head coach, regardless of who they have in their quarter coordinator positions, uh, can often flow downhill. I think too, right, where just you have that that defensive mindset, but also that like trenches mindset, right? Yeah. Which is what's messing with people so much right now relative to the running game because everyone's like, well, you know, like this is supposed to be our MO and Fitz wants to run the ball and why aren't we doing this? And first of all, it's like, we all have gone through when this team was much less talented, many years where running had to go out the window almost immediately. You mentioned the RB Fields era, which <laughs> I'm trying to block it out, Scuzz, and you had to bring it back. John, I'll never forget because every, like, literally ever every other play, as soon as the ball would hand off, you'd be like, dive, dive, <laughs> dive. RB Fields, very solid center fielder on the baseball team. Quality baseball player. Um, the it's funny though because we we've been talking so one of the biggest mistakes and i think a lot of our listeners you're listening at home you're listening in your car you listen to this podcast because you're looking for and expecting a level of analysis above just the casual observer right and the classic casual thing is to pin the success of the running game on the running back the offensive line and Wisconsin can tell you is it all starts with the offensive line. If you've got a great offensive line, you're going to have a good running attack. Um, with that said, um, 
even I think we have to acknowledge at some point that our starting running back depth chart at the start of this season went Jeremy Larkin, John Moten, Jesse Brown slash Isaiah Bowser. And the second half of this game, our running back depth chart was Solomon Vault and Chad Hanayoka. <laughs> and then <laughs> Solomon Vault got hurt. Right. And, not, and Mo- not great, Bob. Yeah, and Mo- and Mo- Moten got hurt too. Um, we, you should, guys, you should have seen Sam and I's shock celebration slash like apoplexy when we realized that Chad Hanayoka has just caught a twelve yard pass and then he just stayed in for the rest of the game. <laughs> and, uh, this, is, this is on the final, like this is on the ninety nine yard, no timeouts, a minute to go. You've got Chad Hanaoka out there trying to pass block. Um, God bless him. He, he got a couple key blocks there and then caught, caught that 12 yard pass over the middle that extended the drive. He was out there. It looked like a, a deer in the headlights, but he got out there and he, he played his butt off. I mean, but it's, I mean, it's crazy. Depending on the way you want to read our depth chart, he is as low as our number seven running back on the depth chart. At least as it existed at the start of the year. At some point, that has to matter, right? I mean, it's like we, this guy obviously has done, I mean, he is, you know, the guy's like probably future governor of Hawaii or something like that. I mean, he's an absolute A plus human being and a very, you know, unbelievable work ethic and everything. But he's this number six slash number seven running back on the depth chart for a reason. And, it's just absolutely crazy that that here we are. But I mean, that's I mean that's that's just where we are. I mean, Solomon Vault made his amazing surprise return, but he's still, I'm sure, you know, not a hundred percent back from where where he once was. And when you combine that with, and I guess here's another one weird wrinkle too. Us and anything that is not a four three. The line always tends to get a little squirrely. Duke was a huge problem two years in a row with that four two five three three five stack thing that they run, um, and you know we had problem you know problems today where again Nebraska is just giving you that full on base three four. We ain't blitzing anybody because, like Scuzz says, if we know it's gonna blow up in our face, um, and it, it was a problem. So again, I. <laughs> we are the last people to be like, it's the running back, but at some point it, it has to be. Yeah. Well, I, so a couple of interesting things. So one, we talked about some of the injuries. There's also this whole red shirt rule this year that is, that is causing some mm-hmm. interesting considerations. Right. So Isaiah Bowser has played three games already. You know, there's a question of I, the coaches might be trying to preserve them, preserve his red shirt by, not putting him out there again, which is why they're they're going to to Chad or um, using Solomon Vault so much. Uh, so that's you know there's there's another there's another layer of calculus uh, on that front. Drake Anderson he's he's only played one game. He looked pretty darn good against Michigan State in a couple spots. So I, I was surprised we didn't see him at Nebraska. But here's another interesting just just read on this. And I, I have I have nothing to go on here other than speculation. And that's that when you think about Justin Jackson and a little bit Jeremy Larkin as well, and I think Moten kind of falls in this category too. 
Jackson in particular was a guy that would run through contact and, and make, make a defender miss. And if the defender still got a piece of him, he managed, you know, to fall forward or, or often break a tackle. Uh, Larkin had some, some real physicality in the way he ran as well. The way, the way this offense has been built the last four years is to take advantage of that skill set. And when you look at the, the pulling guards and centers going outside and, and, you know, trying to open up, open up room or, uh, you know, when, when the whole offensive line kind of, kind of runs to, to one direction or the other and is, you know, they're, they're kind of zone blocking and it's the running back's job to, to basically pick their hole. That works really well when you have a guy that can get, is not going to get bogged down in those tight, in those tight spaces that, that can run through some contact. Solomon Vault ain't, ain't that dude. I don't think Drake Anderson is probably that dude either right now. So we have a little bit of a mismatch in the style of running back with the style of offensive blocking uh, that's been built out over the years. And, you know, maybe they adjust that going forward. Maybe they don't. It's probably pretty hard to change that midseason. But, you know, when you think about the old Damian Anderson, now granted our our O-line had uh, a bit more pedigree and talent back then. Um coming out of the Barnett years uh, and the recruiting that came off of uh, off of the, the Rose Bowl and Citrus Bowl, but I digress. Point being, we ran, you know, only five offensive linemen, wide receivers, way split out on the field. The the, the offensive line splits were, were was a very wide stance so that the holes were gargantuan and a super fast guy like Anderson could blast through it before the defensive lineman could get to him. That's a very different style of running attack than what we're doing right now. And it makes me think that some of these speedier guys aren't a great fit. Yeah, it's I mean, it's like no 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 fault of theirs, right? I mean Solomon Vall. I'm just happy he's playing. I'm just happy he can move. I mean he's never going to move the pile, um, right? Like you said, I mean he he'll take as as big as the hole is. That's how many yards he's going to get. But God, I'm just happy that he's out there to be a soldier for us right now. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't imagine how many guys we have left. Um, the flip side. Um, though one, one fantastic thing, um, especially, you know, as it's going to pertain to Rutgers next week, when I'm sure Resta Palooza is going to be on in full force <laughs> is suddenly we have a million receivers. And oh my God. We've, so here's the thing. We, we've always like, even going into this season, we knew we were deep at receiver. We just weren't sure how talented everyone was. Turns out they're all really, really good. Well, the diver- the diversity's there more yeah. than it, like like go back three or four years when it was like Christian Jones and Cameron Dickerson and Tony Jones and uh, like a couple of like everyone with the exception of maybe Kyle Prater and Flynn Nagel was a six two two hundred pound guy with like decent speed not breakaway speed and then Christian Jones could like leap in the air like crazy. Your your prototypical possession receivers, yeah, like like Rashad Lawrence and uh, even Austin Carr before his breakout season. Like it was like you we didn't have a lot of diversity in the receiver core, and now with the emergence of Triple J, as you've been calling him, John, which I really like, uh, oh, who's, man. Who, who's clearly the breakout star, uh, as you intimated last week. Um, McGowan is is a is a different skill set. You you look at the way we're using Cam Green, like. There's just a, a, a variety in the types of receivers, and that gives a, a, that gives the offense so much more to work with. Yeah, I mean, all these guys are like RCB, 
great player. Berkeley Holman suddenly showed up uh, in the Nebraska game and made an impact and looked fast, just like he's supposed to. Um, so it's great. I mean, I, I I think it's great if if and if we want to start a you know play the entire game next game with like an RCB. Berkeley Holman, Charlie Fessler lineup or something like that. That ought to be more than enough. So if you know, if we're just gonna just roll a bunch, <laughs> roll a bunch of cots out oh. onto the sideline and let the rest of those guys take a nap, fine, great. Um, I'm all for it. We got, we got, we got to talk about the D. Yeah, before we we move on to Rutgers, we do need to address the defense. Like like you were saying, guys, tackling was. A huge issue. Like, how many broken tackles did Divine Zigbo have? I mean, he was just shedding tackles left and right. And just the the positioning. And I I think we were so just laser focused on not letting Adrian Martinez beat us that, you know, Frost picked up on that real quick and just turned the keys to Zigbo. And we never really adjusted for that. Well, this, I mean, this is the Oregon offense, right? Like it's, it's multiple in that you've got the read option component with up with a play action downfield passing game built on top of it. And when you've got players like Stanley Morgan, JP Spielman, who are good receivers. And we talked about how, how Nebraska has got one of the probably close to one of the better uh, receiving cores in the big 10. You don't need much. But it's 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 going to stretch any defense uh, in some way. And you guys you guys talked about it so well last week that Martinez is really starting to emerge and come into his own. He's doing it all on his own right now. He doesn't have an O line. Um, he's got a couple a couple players around him, but not a lot. But man, when when Scott Frost is able to to restock the talent, Nebraska's offense is going to be dynamic uh, as long as he is coaching there. Well, and to your point earlier, Scuzz, too, I think, you know, Sam, you're talking about, right, there are two problems, positioning and tackling. Positioning, I put all on us. That's just these guys were just, you know, a couple of young linebackers out there. Like Scuzz said, getting Scott Frosted to death out there with misdirection on the read option and just being out of position. The broken tackles, though, a lot of that, you just got to give it to Zigbo. Um, he's, he's two thirty five. He's guys just just a powerhouse, and this is everything that Scott was just saying. We're missing in our backfield right now. That's a guy that if you can get him to the place where he's going to get three, he'll get you five or six by dragging guys the rest of the way. I mean, I'm not. That's just we just got to hand it to that guy. He, it's a good good performance. Um, and yeah, so I mean, it's like. Our linebackers needed to scheme a lot better. I mean, it was one of these random games where Sam Dup Miller ends up with 14 tackles. They asked him about it in the press conference, and he was like, what? Like, it was just like this bizarre kind of thing where uh, he ends up with a ton of tackles. Linebackers don't seem to be getting a lot. I mean, Patty Fisher had 10 in this game, and this is a game where he could have had 20. I mean, again, it's just he had a rough game. Um, you have a guy like Chris Bergen, he just doesn't have a lot of reps, period. And then is out in a position somewhere, you know. Again, it's like you miss a Nate Hall. I mean, yes, Fitz preaches next man up all day. But um, it's not every, you know, they can't all be Drew Luckenbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> Seizing the moment with a plum and playing, you know, perfectly. And, and I, he didn't play perfectly, but um, it'll be remembered as a practically perfect performance but well well it's clear that like and john you mentioned a little bit like we we weren't just scared of martinez like we were clearly focused on 
outside contain. There were there were plenty of times where we didn't even attack the A gap and and Fisher went to one side or the other. It's a little bit of the read option game, but he was our primary read, and that allowed uh, Zigba to take take advantage of the middle of the field. I bring it up again because we don't have to worry about that again. Outside contain on the quarterback is not a problem against Iowa or Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Maybe Minnesota. I don't know. We'll see. Like, I I don't even know who's playing at quarterback for Illinois, but in our upcoming really games, matter. yeah, it's it, it's not the problem that it was in this uh, in this matchup. Right. Remember at the beginning of the season, listeners, when we told you about that guy in the office that you were going to tell you were going to talk about Greg Newsom and talk up Greg Newsom and really impress that guy. Well, right now that guy's going to he's going to tell you sometime this week how Wisconsin and Iowa are going to run all over us because Nebraska ran all over us. Uh, just remember all the times you've watched Northwestern get burned by read option football and then not get burned by teams that just want to stuff the ball up the middle of the field. Um, it's funny, like when I see a team like Nebraska or Iowa, what keeps me up all night is the time when they go like double tight and then run play action. And there's some guy running deep. Like, that's what keeps which, me up at night. Which is what Michigan did to yeah. those long, like, every long pass came out of that, you know, double tight, you know, almost wishbone looking formation. And, you know, I noticing that and just watching them just burn us deep. Yeah, that, that's exactly what you're talking about. Awesome tight ends uh, and mobile quarterbacks. Are kind of our two bugaboos right now. I'd much rather deal with the awesome tight end because we have a formula that can that can shut that down. Um, if uh, if our safeties play well enough and if our defensive line can get home on, on occasion. So, uh, but point point being, like our our defense had a, a little bit of a rough day, but at the same time, like some pirate booty for mm-hmm. Jr. Pace, two picks. Uh, including that that nice that nice one in OT um he just continues to be a dynamite playmaker the the Trey Williams sack strip sack <laughs> uh Ernest Brown touchdown i just like Mike Hankowitz yeah I, split I mean, the booty between Trey and Mike on that one dude yeah. like 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 as i tweeted this as well but as pissed off as we get about the offense and the fact that we've been dragging McCall for so long and and he follows up a game like Michigan State, which was a really strong game plan with this crap. Um, on the other side of the ball, we've got a dude who is not always perfect, you know, tackling in this game. We've talked about some of the scheme stuff, but calls his shots and has established an identity at Northwestern of an excellent defense. And it's been 10 years, 10 years since we got him from Wisconsin. The only reason we got him from Wisconsin is we called them about Dave Doran and they were like, Ooh, not so much. They, they basically promoted Dave Dorton and said, yeah, you guys can have Hankowitz. Doran is now coaching at NC state. He lasted for two more years at Wisconsin before he left. And we've gotten a decade out of Hankowitz and it's been fantastic. And that, that play is, is like vintage. That or when we drop a, a lineman to you know to potentially get a pick in the flat, like that's just vintage uh, Hankowitz, and he knows how and when to time those things, and it was perfect. And uh, a, a big old booyah for Ernest Brown uh, getting his his first collegiate touchdown, which uh, it's been pretty awesome to see what he's done with his with his reps thus far this year. For sure, and again, lest we forget, right? I mean the cornerback has been a real issue for us this year i mean like montre's dealing with dealing with issues 
Trey is just, you know, he's not game in, game out a Big Ten starting corner, yet he's out there giving it his very best. He had some coverage issues in this game, but he also made, like you said, probably the play of his career. Um, and, you know, and showed some real, some real jets and made a heck of a hit to force that fumble. Um, and, you know, the, it's, it's not a perfect situation. And again, Nate Hall is out, a, a all Big Ten caliber linebacker. Um, think of so, think with the tackling issue we were talking about a minute ago. Like, think of all the shoestring tackles that Nate Hall has made in open space against uh, decent running backs and receivers in the last you know eighteen games that you've watched him in. Like, that's like that that's a unique skill, and we are definitely missing that right now. Right, and Jeremy McGee forced a fumble. Jr. had the two picks, like you said. I mean, it's. I I know some people are going to say we should have had more from this defense. And for sure, I think Mike would be first to say, and just like you said, Scuzz, they got to, you know, there were some real issues here, especially when it came to read option football. But, um, right, there were some real positives too. Um, You know, one other pirate booty, and we mentioned him already, but uh, definitely got a shout out to Drew Luckenbaugh. I mean, guy coming in, um, you know, Kubander's been hurt for not sure how long, but, you know, he he can't. He came too, in too long for this to have been uh, Luckenbaugh's first first start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but he, he, so he comes in, you know, first uh, first attempted kick, the field goal that he just stoinked. I mean, it was just ugly. Um, you know, we find out later he's just overhyped. You know, he he hit the ball before it was ready, so you know he came out and just admitted that. But then to come back and you know kick great the rest of the game including that the game winner which he did he did twice uh, as frost tried to shanahan him um you know he got he got it in you know dialed it down and came right back right through the pipes um you know congratulations to him on just an awesome awesome game especially coming back off that that first kick which you know your first kick coming in as a backup that bad that I, if it was me, it would get in my head real fast. But you know, he moved past it real well and uh, came back and kicked the game winner. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, Fitz said in the post game that he came over to the, the sideline and said, "Yeah, what's what's going on? What's up with that kick?" And like Luckenbaugh's just totally wide, being like, "I feel great. The next one will be great." And he's just being like, "All right, calm <laughs> down, dude. Just take a breath." And he did. I, I mean, he and God, like you said, Sammy. Yeah, he had the wind, but he kicked the crap out of that game winner. I mean, that would have been good from fifty. So, um, yeah, here's hoping. You know, it's uh, next man up in a big way in that situation, and uh, I think he's in a good place for us to go forward now. And you know, looking at the uh, depth chart coming out for this weekend's game against Rutgers, um, he's moved into the first team, uh, which is interesting because I know last week we talked about. Um, how the depth chart didn't necessarily indicate uh, the injuries, you know, for per se. But I, I think in, in this case, uh, Newsom being down on this on the second team and uh, Kubander being down on the second team, I, I think those are absolutely injury related. Uh, you, you know, Luckenbob being able to to step right up, um, you know, because how often have we had you know kicker issues when you know the starters hurt? I mean, I. Think back you, to two, usually that means we stop kicking, right? I, I'm just thinking back to 2009, uh, we've, which we've talked about. Stefan Demos gets hurt on that last kick in regulation, Ugh. and you know, kind of forces our hand to try to do something crazy in overtime. Um, 
But let, let's real, talk real, real quick on the on the depth chart before we move on to um, to the Rutgers game. And I think you alluded to it, John. Uh, we we're all anticipating that Northwestern is going to um, dial it back this weekend against Rutgers. And any players that don't any players that are borderline are probably not going to play. I doubt we're going to see Nate Hall. I doubt we're going to see Nathan Fox. Um, I am a hundred percent sure we're not going to see Greg Newsom. He's been moved down to the second team on the depth chart. And the other interesting thing about Newsom is he's he's right at that four game threshold. Um, if he plays another game, his shirt is burned. And I'm sure that there's a lot of hemming and hawing and calculus going on around like, do we need to burn it? What's his health status? Like weighing all those factors. So it'll be, I mean, you guys talked about the O-line last week with Hans and, and Butler Butler not having a good game and then Hans being out there with, with, you know, still having a bum wheel. We'll probably see some interesting rotations on the O-line. I think this Rutgers team is that bad. We we cannot take them lightly. I mean, look at what happened against Akron, but I I, I can't see a scenario where um, we're playing guys that are borderline in this matchup. I, I completely agree with you. I think that you know, we need to take. It is a Big Ten game. Uh, I mean, whether or not Rutgers is a big, technically it is a Big Ten game, um, but and you're just looking back at what Rutgers has done to this point this season. They are miserable. I mean, at least you know Nebraska being winless, but they they look good against us. They looked feisty against Wisconsin. You know they they've played decent football. They're just not. They're not finishing. Rutgers is not playing decent football at all. Um, I against Maryland passing. Um, Art Art Sikowski, two of sixteen, eight yards, four picks. Oh, and and, and don't don't forget uh, Giovanni Rasigio, who was zero of one with a pick. Yes, they had. So he, two he, had a, he did have a perfect. Picks. You know. Resigio did have a perfect game passing. Every pass he threw was completed. There, I think there was a Maryland corner who was the leading receiver of the night with, I think, two receptions. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so. This is so crazy because we've talked so long um, about how bad Nebraska was, and of course, it all went crazy. And, and part of that is just because. They're just such a train wreck in terms of organization right now, discipline. Oh, we haven't even mentioned that. We oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We got, can't gotta mention that. Gotta mention that. Pivot to Rutgers without talking about the mouth breather who stood behind <laughs> Sam and I for the entire four games. Let me just put okay, if this one man is is an indication, part of the reason that so many Nebraska fans showed up for this game may be that maybe some of them just didn't know the team was 0-5 coming into the game. Because this guy sure as hell didn't know that his team was by far the number one most penalized team in the nation through five games. And all through this game as well, when Nebraska committed a crazy amount of penalties. Uh, and on the other side, Northwestern committed very few. Because one. we're one of the least one penalized penalty. teams in the country. Um, and this guy was losing his flipping mind about the penalties. And just like that there was this massive conspiracy, Watergate-level conspiracy going on <laughs> to just do in his 
god-awful penalty-committing team that has been that way all season. We were just losing our minds. I just, this guy was out of his mind crazy. But, again, to circle back, Rutgers, I mean, Nebraska is just a train wreck. They are thin, especially in the trenches, right? And they play really undisciplined football. The gulf between Nebraska and Rutgers is massive. Rutgers, well, well, Nebraska has Adrian Martinez, right? And Rutgers does not. <laughs> I Rutger, Rutgers may be the worst team of the college football playoff era this season um, because whoever they, be, I'm sure it would be Kansas. They would be going up against, and Kansas beat the crap out of them this year, fifty-five to fourteen. Um, this is a team that has one win. That win is over a one in five Sunbelt team. Um, they played their best game, quote unquote, was a 24 17 loss to Indiana. That was at home, and they basically scored 10 garbage time points at the end of that game. Indiana played poorly, but that game was never remotely close. It was never in doubt for Indiana. Um, and, and yeah, Illinois, Maryland, Buffalo. Kansas. These are all teams that have destroyed Rutgers this year. So I, you know, it's, we all know how it felt to watch this Nebraska game, but yes, this is an FCS football team and probably a pretty mediocre FCS football team. Archer Sitkowski is below 50% completion on the year. His yards per attempt is 4.28. Ooh. Oh, that God. is minuscule. I mean, like bad teams are bad quarterbacks are in the sixes. Yeah, Sam like, Brad Sam Bradford's looking at that, being like, "That's a low yards." Per yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, his 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 three TDs line up against seventeen, uh, fifteen picks, uh, and he's been sacked seven times. I mean, this is this is a real, real disaster. Now, here's the deal: we we all know how this works at Northwestern, right? We're favored by like 20 and a half points. There is no chance on God's green earth that Northwestern is going to win this game by more than 20 points. We are going to play somewhat vanilla. We're going to sit some players that are maybe borderline or maybe just, you know, are 85%. We want to get them to 100% for, for the coming weeks. Especially with Wisconsin coming up after. Yep, we're we're going to maybe maybe the potential for a northwestern uh crowd in New Jersey will help, but Oh, absolutely. This is not going to be an exciting this is not an exciting matchup. It is not a big deal. It's not on major TV. Like this is the sort of game that that teams get sleepy in and I promise you fans, just prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. You're going to be real angry at some point in this game because we're going to only be up by like seven and there's going to be a, a point where it crosses all of our minds. Like, wow, could we, could we really lose to Rutgers? Cause this is what happens. And it's not because we're horrible or bad or, you know, uh, everybody should, should be fired. Maybe one guy should be fired, but <laughs> it's, it's just the way we do things. And like, as much as we get, we all get excited about, fits in close games and 
his record in close games and all that sort of stuff. He just plays close games. That's his MO. And he doesn't like to embarrass other teams. He's not going to want to embarrass Rutgers. We're going to try to win this game like 21 to 10. Right. And, and the other thing too is the orbit of that, which that, which follows is so massive yeah. at this point. This is such a such a, a, a letdown look ahead situation. Right. right. I mean, as you the, can call as it a solid tra- verbal likes to. Right. You can call it a trap game. Um, again, I I don't want to be. We just don't want to be cavalier. And and everything Scott says is absolutely true. This Rutgers team, though, to compare them to any other team in the Big Ten this year, including Illinois, would be a grave disservice. Because Rutgers is this is a team top to bottom that talent wise, go check the recruiting rankings for the last five years. I encourage you is not a power five level football team um, and is only going to continue to get worse. And I mean, it's it's so, yes, we're probably going to play this ugly, gross game, take an ugly L and then move on to this. This ugly W, I ugly hope. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, gross. Ugly W. Yeah, this is what happens when the Akron game is still on this. I probably said ugly L too many times. Yeah, take an ugly W, get an ugly W, and then move on to this just seismic game um, that comes the week after. Yeah, we were talking to our our buddies over at the Winning Cures Everything podcast, and you're know, t- trying to tell them, do not bet on Northwestern here. Twenty and a half points. It, just don't do it. If, if, you, if you're going to bet this at all, take the points because it's going to be close. The final maybe score. Take the, maybe take the under. Yeah. Well, have you seen what the under is? I don't think that's out yet. But uh, apparently the line opened at 21 and a half and it's already come down a point uh, since it opened. But yeah, it's just it's we play to the level of our opponent. Right. That, that's, mean, that's just how we do it. We're going to get our 21 points and go home. Since Rutgers hasn't scored more than 17 in any FBS game this year, that will be enough, and and then on we go. Don't try to read too much into well, this game te- positively Texas State, or negatively. Texas State is an FBS team. Oh, but, that's right. They so are now. They are. Um, Sun Belt. That's yeah, right. The, the over-under, Sam, is 49 points. Ooh, yeah. Take the under. It, I mean, it's going to be like 24-17. 21-17, 21-10, 17-10, for God's sake. I mean, oh, yeah. This is going to be the game that we're going to we're going to try and run the ball. And yep, yep. It's exactly what's going to happen. We're, we're, this is the game that we're going to say, This, you know, McCall is going to say, let's fix our run, rushing game. Let's figure out what's going wrong, and we're just going to hammer the ball through the line and just try to run the ball as much as possible. We're going to cut down possessions, you know, Thorson will throw a couple touchdowns, but he's not going to be asked to do a ton because we're going to, you know, this is where we're going to try and figure out how we're going to run the ball against Wisconsin and Iowa and Notre Dame, you know, the big games down the stretch. We're going to need to figure out how to run the ball some because we're not going to beat any of those big teams being as one dimensional as we were, as we ended up being against Nebraska. And look, we're we're not trying to be alarmist here. We're not we're not trying to like bag on Northwestern or give anybody like heart palpitations. Um, we're trying to be we're just trying to be realistic. Help help you guys prepare yourselves for 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 Saturday. And the it, one, it, if you've watched Northwestern, you know that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, you you know it. The, 
the one thing that goes counter to all this is that this would be an opportunity for the defense to say to each other, let's shut them out, boys. Right. And and to, to put that stake in the ground and make a statement game and go for glory on that side of the ball. I mean, we, we could this could be like a thirteen to zero game. The closest level of defense that they've played so far this season to Northwestern's defense is Ohio State's defense. And I'm not saying we have Ohio State's defense. We don't. But I'm saying we're closer to Ohio State than we are to Illinois' defense, Maryland's defense, Indiana's defense, Buffalo's defense, or Kansas's defense. None of whom had a tough day against Rutgers. And against the Buckeyes, Rutgers scored three points. So now, just I'm just throwing this out there. I'm just look and we talked about this going into the going into the season, but looking at the Rutgers schedule down the stretch, how many more points are they gonna score this year? It's it's Us? a nightmare. At They're... Wisconsin, home against Michigan, home against Penn State, at Michigan State. They might score a couple against Penn State. Where where are they gonna find points? This is, I mean, this is a, it's a one in 11 football team that's going to finish the season with 11 consecutive losses. And, and again, back with no hope of getting better in any way. And, but, but again, I'm not complaining. I'm glad we get to play them. Like we said, the best thing that can come out of this is, is guys get rest, um, rest everybody who can. Sure. Let's see TJ Green, Drake Anderson, uh, for the whole second half. Fine. Great. Do it. Wonderful. And we'll just get out of there with our win. So, yeah, let's let's talk about some of the other games in the Big Ten. Um, obviously, the headliner is the Michigan-Michigan State game. That's what at least Fox is promoting the hell out of. Um, Michigan, a seven-point favorite at Michigan State. And it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Michigan State's kind of had Michigan's number, but Michigan looks much better than Michigan State does, especially you know Michigan State can't run the ball. How are they gonna? How are they gonna score any points against Michigan? Michigan looks awesome right now. Oh um, yeah, this just feels like a classic. Like, like look at look at what Michigan State just did after looking pretty bad against Northwestern uh, down the stretch. They went to Penn State and beat them. They got pretty lucky on turnovers, but they really shut them down and beat them. And they, just, they seem to always have that type of performance in, in the games against the big, their big rivals in the East. And there's their run defense is good enough. They're, they're going to be able to make Michigan one dimensional. They're going to be able to get after uh, Shea Patterson. Michigan certainly has the weapons, but it feels like a close, you know, bite, bite your knuckles type of game. Right. It's like in, on paper, Michigan ought to be the class of this game, but that's not what history tells us about this rivalry. So uh, true. So true. It's going to be close, most likely, and it's it's at East Lansing. Uh, Michigan State could easily pull this one out, but but and hey, Fel- and Felton Davis is effing amazing at football. Oh, he's right. so good. Oh, God, and and these are two ranked teams. This is going to be a massive game on Fox. And we lost one of these teams by three, and we beat the other one by ten. And that is a good place to be, especially since, um, yeah, Michigan throttled Wisconsin last week, which 
There's nothing bad about that happening. Not a thing. Uh, also at 11, uh, Maryland at Iowa. Um, Iowa's, you know, they're quietly 5-1. and one. Their only losses uh, to Wisconsin in a really, really tight game. Um, Nate Stanley's been looking better and better, and that defense is is pretty solid. I know we've been just laser focused on Wisconsin as you know the, the team that we absolutely have to beat, but you know Iowa. <laughs> you sh- stop it, stop it. Scuzz and I were talking about this earlier. I <laughs> I've been I've been desperately trying to keep myself from doing this. Cannot look beyond that Badger game. But no, you're absolutely right, Sammy. Iowa's playing darn good football right now. Um, and, I'm, uh, I'm going to just like, they look really good on defense right now. I I don't want to overreact to what they've done in the last two games against sure. two mediocre opponents in Minnesota and Indiana. If they blow out Maryland this weekend, which I kind of expect them to, um, that'll also look pretty good. But the rubber meets the road at Penn State and at Purdue the following two weeks. We're going to learn a lot more about Iowa in those two games. Grant, I mean, granted, they get to play us at home. They're they've they've been a dramatically better team at home over uh, the the last few seasons. Although Nate Stanley's two best games here have come on the road, so we'll see how that plays out. But I'm I'm not quite ready. I just I think it behooves us to all to just not think about Iowa. <laughs> yeah, as, as you kind of intimated, John. Uh, Illinois at Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin, a 25-and-a-half-point favorite. And as much as I caution people to stay away from Northwestern as a 20-and-a-half-point favorite, feel free to bet on Wisconsin. They're going to be pissed off after uh, blowing that game to Michigan. And you now Illinois just coming in there as – Looks like a nice juicy lamb chop uh, with some mint jelly on the side. Nice crown roast. Well, that badger was still getting used to the corn in the Nebraska game, and he kind of picked at it for a little while and was kind of figuring at it. But now I think he has the taste for delicious corn, and I think Illinois is going to bring some right into the right into Camp Randall. <laughs> another game. Another game. I'm pretty interested to see how this plays out because I generally agree with you guys. I think Wisconsin is going to come out and hammer them, but if they're like salty coming off that Michigan game and slow to start. Like I, I could see this one being tight in the first half and then Wisconsin kind of waking up and shaking things off and saying no in the second half. But, uh, but it could also be 70 to nothing. We'll see. Uh, two thirty. uh, you got Penn state at Indiana, Penn state, a 14 and a half point favorite. I just don't know what to make of Indiana. I mean, they're, I, I they're mediocre. And, and Penn State is better than mediocre, so this should, this looks like a pretty handy Penn State victory here. I would assume so. I mean, Indiana's played a couple teams a little bit tight, but I mean, Iowa had no problem with them. Um, but yeah, no, I think Penn State is. Uh, I still think they're right. They're going to come into this game mad and probably put the hammer down. I don't think Indiana has anyone that can do anything about KJ Hamler or Miles Sanders. Minnesota at Nebraska, the $5 broken bits of chair game. Um, I, I, is this where, is this where Nebraska gets off the schneid? I think so. I I think so too. It, it, 
it's pretty hard for me to look at this and say I think Minnesota is a clear favorite. Um, they did give Ohio State, uh, you know, three three quarters of a game last week, and Nebraska's defense is horrific. But um, with all of the losses Minnesota has sustained in the backfield, uh, it's hard for me to see them winning this. And Nebraska, three and a half point favorite. Hey, and now that we've gotten past Nebraska, and I mean, I'll never stop hating Nebraska and, and being happy that they're down, but it, it's time to root for Nebraska at this point. We need them to trend upward all through this season. You shut your mouth. Yeah, right now. no, it, yeah, we <laughs> stop it. Just stop no, it. But, but we need their help for that Iowa game at the end of the year. Oh, if fair. this team can find something by that point, and find some sort of identity, pick up a couple wins. They have that Bethune-Cookman. I mean, they they got a chance to put together a two-game win streak here uh, if they can beat Minnesota. So, um, you know, if they, if they find something, you know, some Adrian Martinez barn burner um, could end up being very valuable to us. But as long as we take care of our business, we don't need anyone else's help. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I, still, I'll root for them against Iowa. But here's the thing, and I tweeted this and, and got a lot of uh, a lot of responses that with with that comeback victory, we finally paid them back for that Hail Mary they threw in 2013 um, that in a very similar spot where things had just been spiraling for Northwestern um, game after game. And we thought we had finally broken through and then uh, catastrophe struck. Uh, that doesn't erase the scars that Nebraska has inflicted on us over the years. No. Um, I'm and still just, raw and about the Alamo Bowl. And, that, and that's just you and me, Scuzz, not, not even counting Sam. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, want, I, want, I want them to go, like, 1-11 and 11 this year. Uh, I, like... No, oh, for bring, sure. I, bring I want the to, pain. Go Minnesota. I want them... For sure. Can, can that one be Iowa? I want them... Can they take a fat L against Bethune-Cookman in Lincoln <laughs> and then beat Iowa? <laughs> That would that would be perfect. Let's have that. And then uh, 6.30 on ABC, Ohio State at Purdue. Ohio State, a 14-point uh, favorite going in here. This could be interesting. Uh, I don't think Purdue's defense is anywhere close enough to, to make it stay interesting throughout the game. But, you know... You, Ohio State is, you know, in their sleepwalking mode, and you know they sleptwalked through the first three quarters of that Minnesota game. So you got to think that Urban's going to try and fire him up and really get him to play four quarters against Purdue. But you know, I, I, I could see Brom try to, you know, cook something up and try to get a little feisty here. It won't last the entire game, but could be interesting for a little bit. Two two thoughts. One, uh, Dwayne Haskins is really damn good. This this might be the best quarterback Ohio State has had in the Urban Meyer era. Um, freshman year, JT Barrett was pretty impressive, but this is this seems like it's another level. Um, we'll see when they play Michigan uh, and when they get to you know whoever they take on in the Big Ten championship, but they've they've got another level to their offense they haven't had since that uh national championship year and the other side of that coin is that their wide receivers have finally emerged uh, we've been waiting well 
we have not been waiting, but we've been talking about um, who's going to fill that void that Devin Smith left and be a downfield threat for them. And they seem to have figured that out finally this season. I think they're, they're, I think I can add to that one thing on each side of how this game is going to go. So Dwayne Askins is the top-rated quarterback in the Big Ten. The number two-rated quarterback in the Big Ten is David Blau, who has been slinging it. Um, now, granted, not against a murderer's row, but he's been really good. Credit where credit is due. The moment, you know, for a guy who did not start the season, since he came in, he has put up some great numbers. He hasn't faced a defense anything like Ohio State's defense. So, sorry, here it comes. Um, but the he's been really, really good. And, and if they have a chance to be in this one, that's it. The flip side, though, is, and this is to your point, Sammy, um, this would be the game that was just screaming at me if Ohio State had smoked Indiana and Minnesota, but they didn't. They played lousy in those games, and they kind of turned it on late and got up. So I kind of feel like this is the game now that, like, I'm sure Urban is screaming at them, being like, this guy is going to tear you apart if you guys don't finally get it together. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Purdue. I mean, it'll be at home. It's going to be a blackout night game. So the fans, I'm sure, are going to be going bananas, but... Uh, two two still... night games in the season for uh, for Purdue. Two national right. TV games, prime time. Right, that's right. Um, this and this one will be not obviously couldn't possibly be as big of a deal as the first one. No, certainly not. Anytime you start the season with Northwestern under the lights, but the but still, I mean, it's. I think if you make me pick, I'm going to say Ohio State is is awake now and flattens them. But prove me wrong, Purdue. So I just went back to 2004. That's as far back as the stats on ESPN's website go. And granted, I'm comparing full years against a partial year. This is the very first year in any of those years, back to 2004, that Ohio State has had more than one player averaging double digits on yards per catch. This year they have, let's count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight players averaging double digits on yards per catch, including two that are close to 20. Wow. This is a different level of, of offense at Ohio State, and you have to wonder if the Ryan Day experience those first four weeks of the year has given a different bent to how that team is operating because we haven't seen the classic Urban Meyer like run the hell out of the quarterback and run him into the ground situation. And... This this is going to be fascinating to watch how this plays out. Um, any other games around the country that uh, are are kind of piquing your interest? Um, I I know I'm looking at a couple Pac-12 games. Obviously, Colorado coming out trying to come off that uh, loss at USC has to go to Seattle to take on Washington. Um, that could be tough, especially because I guess Lavisca Chenault is a little banged up and. Yeah, that guy is the Colorado offense, um, with, along with Steven Montez. Uh, the other one, um, for the first time ever, game day at Wazoo, uh, when Oregon goes to uh, take on the Cougs. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, you know, the, the folks that have been making sure that Wazoo f- flag shows up at every game day for however many years. 15 uh, f- years. 15 15- 
finally getting rewarded. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a heck of a matchup too with, with Oregon appearing to be at least back as a, as a solid, um, if not dynamic threat in the, in the pac 12. So we'll see how we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, you got the Mike Leach factor as well, which is always entertaining. So that's going to be a fun, a fun nightcap. It's going on at the same time as Ohio State Purdue. So uh, probably some good flip back and forth action. A little picture in picture if your TV still has that. <laughs> multi yeah. multi screen watching. Uh, I'll have I'll have one screen on that, one screen on Ohio State Purdue, and one screen on uh, LSU Mississippi State most likely. Um, I'm gonna be making I'm gonna make a large batch of pesto on Saturday night while I watch while I try to turn my kitchen into a sports bar. Nice. Yeah, that Mississippi State LSU game, pretty interesting one. And the last time I checked, the line on that one was pretty low. Six and a uh, half for the Tigers yeah, right now. I, I mean, boy, that's given a lot of credit to Mississippi State. I mean, I know LSU is, uh, you know, kind of can be a little bit feast and famine, not only just this season, but historically. But, man, oh, man, was that a performance against Georgia. I mean, they just put it on Georgia. So, I don't know, but, this... It's. I think. I think people are looking at that at Mississippi State beating Auburn, um, and kind of dominating them two weeks ago. Coming off, they're coming off bye this week, but yeah, they've got loss. Like they scored thirteen points in a loss to Florida and a loss to Kentucky. It feels like LSU should really like mop them out of the way, but I don't know. Like the letdown after that Georgia game is maybe too much to overcome. Right. I mean, like, like. This should be straightforward, but this also could just be some classic SEC West carnage. And anything else kind of striking your interest? I guess that NC State Clemson game, right? I mean, uh, MC, NC State's been under the radar for a little while here, but now they've really got their moment under the lights. They could put something out, or Clemson could just flatten them, um, which is certainly possible. But but I'd love to see the Wolfpack go in there and. And really, you know, throw the CFP into some real chaos. You know, last week kind of uh, did stir that pot a little bit. You know, what with Georgia going down and a bunch of you know, the top ten teams losing, but uh, you know, we're still a few weeks away from that first uh, playoff rankings. So I, I guess you know, still, still a lot to be decided. How badly is Bama just going to blow the doors off of Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee? I was about to say, so I guess if you make everyone, if you made everyone vote right now, Tua Tagovailoa probably is the Heisman winner. I don't know if it's close. My vote would certainly be for Mackenzie Milton at UCF, but I feel like Tua would probably win. He well, you, were, you were all over Will Greer last week. Yeah. Well, then, then Will Greer's, <laughs> Greer's star fell. I was all over Will Greer. <laughs> I a, also a lot, a lot said, of star, a lot of stars tend to fall in Ames, Iowa. Yeah, I also said that was a serious trap game, and that's exactly it blew up right in their face. Uh, well, yeah, bye bye Will Greer's campaign. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. really excited to see which QB you think next week will get the Heisman over Justin to Herbert. <laughs> Herbert, right? I, well, Tua, I, well, Tua I, I mean, is winning it. It is. It is already over. So there's I no mean, question. He uh, he hasn't thrown a pass in the fourth quarter this season. So Which, he no, hasn't thrown an interception. He's got 21 TDs and no oh, picks. I I I take no issue with any of this. I just just when you juxtapose it with Mackenzie Milton, who's carrying his team on his back. And basically had to win it for them at the very end of the game. Now, granted, 
at a at a much lower level of competition. But it's like here, good lord, here, like Alabama would be undefeated right now with Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. They didn't need the extra three touchdown margin per game that two is giving them. So I, I think if you're going to look at Lamar Jackson, like the crazy stats that he put up at, as a QB at Louisville and, and say that that's Heisman worthy, you cannot overlook what Tua is doing stat-wise. 71.5% completion, 14.3 yards per attempt, 21 TDs, no picks, and three sacks. Well, Those well, are, that, is an, that is an absurd line that we have never, ever seen before. Well, can we just like wipe the fourth quarter thing off? Just just play him in the fourth quarter. Let Jalen Hurts play the first three quarters. Tua can come in, throw for two hundred yards in the fourth. <laughs> they can win seventy to nothing, <sighs> and then you know that that thing will be crossed off the books. I yeah. Just remember when Alabama is just just oh spraying Tennessee blood all over their own stadium. That this was a big rivalry at one point. Once <laughs> upon a time, yeah. Well, I mean, Pruitt coming from Alabama, I mean, they're they're going to try and, and muster as much of that as possible, but uh, usually doesn't go usually doesn't go well for former Saban assistants. No, certainly not. Duke's hosting Virginia. If they win, they'll be six and one, and certainly ranked. Um, so that Akron game still stings. Our other two losses are two very good football teams. Well, uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Um, you can head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Uh, it was really great to meet a bunch of our listeners at the tailgate last week. Um, feel free to stop by the central golf lot uh just east of the stadium where we will be flying the red pirate flag high because the westlaw pirates give no quarter especially the fourth for john lacombe and eric scasby and sam walter thanks so much for listening see you next time